Today's episode of Overdue Rentals has interview material that was recorded before the SAG after strike that is currently going on right now. We here at Overdue Rentals would like to voice our support for SAG after and the WGA in their fight for fair wages. And now on with the show. Being awkward as a young person is a rite of passage. And hey, sometimes when you become an adult, you're still a little awkward. And who's better to talk about these things than Michael Sarah, as we're here talking about the adults and youth in revolt here on Overdue Rentals. Welcome back to Overdue Rentals, everybody, the show where we talk about films that don't get talked about enough anymore. My name is Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And yes, as you heard, we're talking about awkwardness a little bit. But again, we're not saying that Michael Sarah is awkward, but some of the characters he's playing in the films we're talking about have a little bit of that twinge. You know, not to belabor the point, because it was it was wonderful to talk to Michael about this. This was done through when the adults play the Tribeca Film Festival when we spoke to him. So this is going back way before the SAG-AFTRA and WGA strikes, just as a note again. And uh, I, I have to, you'll hear me say it when, when, I, when we talk to Michael, and I don't, I, you've heard me say plenty of times, I don't like to be the person just here pumping up people's e egos, but goddamn, his work in the adults was fucking crazy. Yeah, and I can attest to this, even though I sadly was not present for the interview, but it's still wonderful to have Michael Sarah here because he really did, like for a period of time, trade and in awkwardness and honed it so well. But then as we're going to talk about with the adults and youth in revolt, he does also play outside of that box very wonderfully. And yeah. I have to say, when we get to the, especially when we get to the user yeah. revolt part, I'm going to have a lot to say about that. But for now, let's get to your interview with Michael Sarah, uh, which was again taken from the Tribeca Film Festival promoting the film, which is going to be out very soon. In fact, I believe Friday, August 18th. Ah, well, it's nice to have an exact date like that, and especially with a smooth, buttery voice that you're going to hear in the following interview. So, gentlemen, get to it. I'm going to go fix a snack, and I'll be right back after. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm sure you've heard this plenty of times already. I apologize if you see my eyes look down. I have my outboard camera, and I want to make sure to check everything oh. at the same time. <laughs> All right. No problem. No problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel weird sometimes when I say this to people, because my job here is to ask you questions, not to praise you. But man, you killed it in this movie. Oh, thanks, man. I'm glad you got to see it. Thank you so much. Well, I I, I want to jump straight ahead if it's okay to talk about the Lion King speech, because when that first comes up, I'm like, all right, I see where he's going. Ha ha. Very funny. But as the emotions start to bubble up and as I'm realizing how nuanced it is, depending on whether you're talking about thinking about this is his real life feelings compared to trying to trick out other poker players. I'm like, I don't even know how I'm feeling about it at this point. Where do you kind of start off with something like that? Oh my God, I don't know. Um, I mean, it's such a funny idea. And, you know, reading it for the first time was very exciting because you're just, you're just like, this guy is mentally ill. You know, this character is so, so confusing of a human being. Um, so it's exciting. It was very exciting, very exciting. Um, you know, as was the entire script, you know, reading it for the first time. Honestly, when I read it for the first time, I just thought, oh my God. It's going to be so much fun, you know, doing all these scenes. Um, and yeah, that one obviously was kind of its own challenge because it's very specific. And um, yeah, but 
Very, very fun to do. Well, not to stick too much on the whole poker, poker part of the story, because that's kind of just a small part of it. But since we're there, you know, again, I, you, you, Molly's game, you were a player. So it's not like you're an, uh, a complete novice to the whole scene. I don't know if you study up on it in, in the past. And again, you have a script and you're a poker player. You're trying to trick out other players. But do you actually study or know some of these players? Because the whole thing felt very Phil Helmuthy to me, in a way. <laughs> um. Well, I love poker. I play poker in my real life, and I, I, I love it. And um, the reason that the whole poker thing got into this movie and into this character was actually because Dustin, you know, the writer and director of the movie, also kind of discovered poker himself um, and his, his own relationship to it during the pandemic, actually. And, mm. and, he, and I were, he and I were part of a big Zoom poker tournament group that happened weekly at first and then several times a week during the pandemic when it was like the thing that all of us were looking the most forward to. Um, and it was a great, great group of people. Um, a lot of like family, you know, my father even got into it at some point. There were a lot of fathers, sons, fathers, daughters, all right. mothers. So it was very friendly and cheerful and, you know, like playing for like $5, kind of very friendly. Um, and, and you know, through, throughout that and Dustin's like interest in that, getting deeper as he kind of fell in love with poker he pulled it into the movie you know the movie the script was kind of evolving in in big ways at that time he was you know coming up with a lot of different elements that all made it into the movie and that really brought the movie to life and mm. to into what it is um and that when he brought poker into it and into the character and and into the story in such an integral way everything kind of clicked in this amazing way for this character and um, yeah, so that that was fun, and that that did come from our shared love and and hate of poker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there's a little like I love it so much that I'm starting to hate it kind of thing. You hate it when you tr you try and you play and you pl do you play poker? I mean, I've I've never actually played. I've never sat down for any serious game in my entire life ever. No, but I mean, I've I played. Yeah, so I, I do know how it goes. It can be very mean. It can be very mean to you. You know, when you do everything right. But then, it, you know, the wrong card comes and the wrong yeah. person wins. The person who played wrong and did everything badly and was supposed to lose takes all your money. <laughs> and you, it's, it's just such a bad, you know, taste. And like, it's, it's this thing in poker where losing, you know, winning does not feel as good as losing feels bad. Yeah. So it, it's, you're chasing, you're like, chasing these little crumbs that you get if you win, a little morsel of happiness, but like these depths of profound misery when you, when you lose, especially in a bad way like that. Just leave it uh, I mean, that Eric's on the other end of that technically. Well, he's actually he's got, he gets both ends of it for himself in the film. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, definitely leads into what, what you know, kind of transpires after that, uh, that Lion King game. Um, yeah. But I do want to talk about, you know, because... Look, again, you have a script, you talk to Dustin, or you talk to talk to everybody ahead of time. You know, the the voices for the characters, was that something though where you and Hannah and Sophia had to sit together and say, well, we gotta kind of get something we can all do, or is it just we have we just meld to whatever is kind of presented to us ahead of time and whatever whatever falls through, falls through. No, I mean the characters were scripted, you know, somewhat specifically. Um, in the script, but then we, we did have to sort of, you know, get together <clears throat> and figure out what, how we're going to do them and, and what the voices of the characters will be and carve out each one's own lane in a way so that, so that they all had their own feeling. 
um, that was the way we had to work on it on it all together, and then and then just you know keep doing them as much as possible before actually you know so that they felt kind of lived in, and yeah. you know felt like they were these you know vestiges of, of childhood that we'd grown up with. Formed your whole lives with it seems in, in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then again, but you know, just as you were talking about when we when we started, you know, you know, Eric as a character is kind of a piece of work in 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 a lot of ways, and especially when you get to that point when they're at the bowling alley, and he's like, oh, I mean, even when you know he's kind of faking the call, but then you see him go to the claw machine after you're just as as somebody who's trying to start to watch it and unfold what he thinks or what what they think is going on, you know, do you do do you do all that? Do you have to have a backstory for yourself to fill in all the gaps leading up to it? You know, I, I think, I mean, the backstory for them is, to me, is more than, I don't know, a couple, like, key moments or something, or story points about their childhood. It's like, it's an enamel of 30 plus years of living mm. together and complications. Um, so we, you know, we, we talked about their dynamic as a sibling constellation a lot. But, I, I mean, for me, when I read the script, and those answers aren't provided, you know, the backstory and the backstory answers, um, they're withheld. And I find that to be a little more interesting myself because mm -hmm. um, I find these people to be a big question mark and a, and a mystery. And, and I know people like that. I mean, um, you meet people in life where you, you just kind of get to know them a little bit, you know, in passing or something, or at work or whatever it is. And you don't know every event of their life. You don't know why they are the way they are. And you wonder about it and you draw conclusions of your own and you make assumptions and they can be wrong. And, and all of that, that, all of that, you know, work that you're doing, all of that projecting that you're doing onto a person, that, that's how we approach people. That's how we see people. And that's how we, you know, people, you can't ever really know someone or why they are the way they are. But the movie sort of, you know, hopefully allows you to empathize with these people, even though they're a big mystery a lot of the time and even to themselves you know they're very mysterious in their actions um so yeah. to answer your question i kind of i think i think that that stuff can live in the dark and and that kind of can be where it belongs some of the time plus well, it's interesting you know especially the way you put it too because i was just talking to somebody the other day about this idea that you know i had a friend for i don't know how many years at this, this point it's been that's been that long i've forgotten how long yeah, and yeah. there was something about their past i never knew they didn't have and they don't, yeah. didn't have to tell me but then yeah. when they tell you, certain things start to make a little more sense. So then even again, for your for your side of it, keeping the ambiguity for yourself, do you then yeah. go watch the final product and see what somebody else may have done in a scene you're not in or, or get it from another perspective viewpoint to say that now there's something about even my performance or what I thought has opened up in a different way? Well, I mean, I think what's shown and what's, what, is, what is made, you know, clear is the the way that these um, siblings are relating to each other, and there's a lot of information to be drawn from that, I think. And and I think a lot of that is, um, for me, it holds a lot of answers to to a lot of questions about about Eric in particular, the struggle that he has with Rachel in particular. You know, yeah. and uh, you feel that something that was once very beautiful kind of at some point rotted in a way, and that has been like devastating to to their relationship and. I think a lot of what Eric does stems from that, I, you know, I think. But that's just kind of my take on it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's also the great thing about 
you know, any any form of media it doesn't have to be film but you know the fact that people do have different views on it and then yeah. as talking about it it comes out and you're like oh great i never th i never thought about that way here's yeah, another I avenue i can i can search yeah and I, I think with a movie like this that's so much about family and everybody has you know family and has their own stories and their own relationships i think everybody will bring or see something familiar in it that would be you know very different from what from what another person might see or bring and and how they might relate to it or you know the lens that they might see this story through so, yeah, it's, it can be a very personal viewing experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing is here on Overdue Rentals, we do love talking about films that we feel that, you know, when they came out, everybody was talking about them. You couldn't avoid them, but they don't get as much notice anymore. And for you, I always thought, I always thought about Youth in Revolt because it was right. something that where it kind of came in this strange part of your, of your career where, you know, for people who only knew you from Arrested Development, let's say, you know, they, they were just starting to discover you do other things. And while you had all things that came out before, maybe been filmed before, that had you in this big spotlight, it's like this is a movie where that spotlight was in a specific place with this massive cast, but like they were all there for you in a way. Did it, did it have that kind of feeling where it's just like had like this, again, the spotlight feeling, I guess? I mean, I never thought of it <coughs> in that in those terms, but I mean... It was an amazing cast. I mean, it was very exciting to be working with all those people and that they would show up for that movie. I mean, that was very exciting. And, you know, I, I, worked, I worked very closely with Miguel Arteta on that movie, who directed it. And, um, you know, we really had like a very good team feeling. And, um, and we were both very excited when Stupushemi came on and when Fred Willard came on and, um, and Zach Galifianakis, who, you know, I think he wasn't, you know, as like the yeah. giant star then that he is now, but he was, a giant to to us and to me uh, already, you know. And Gene Smart, um, yeah, it was amazing that those people just wanted to, you know, turn up, turn turn up for that movie. And I think, you know, a huge part of that was Miguel as well. People wanting to work with Miguel, um, so it was very exciting. Yes, well, that's because like, Gene Smart, like she's one of those people that specifically where it's like. For people who have watched her her entire career, they know how amazing she is. But it's only for some reason it's only now where it seems to be that she has blown up in a, a certain public image mind, where like a household in the middle of America that never watched anything beyond what you know Fox, ABC, and NBC showed them. Right. Now they're getting to see Gene Smart somehow. That's true, um, and that's very very cool and very exciting. Um, yeah, uh, Gene Smart um, had a broken leg when we were doing Youth and oh. her, her leg was broken. I mean. And she broke it very shortly before we were gonna film, but she just like still did the movie with a broken leg. It was unbelievable. I mean, after every after every take, you know, she had to like collapse pretty much, and people oh had my to God. help her, you know. But she just didn't it didn't stop her. I mean, it was it was really incredible watching her do that. But you know, also tying tying that film into again, kind of not specifically what we're talking about with the adults, and it can be in a lot of other things. But that idea of when you do get to do the whole, uh, you know, um, Nick, Francois kind of like dynamic back and forth, you know, you're getting to witness a character in, in your own mind from like two different sides of, of how they're feeling. Is it something, again, it's just like, what's well, performance? It's written. I know what I got to do. Or it's, it does feel satisfying to be able to do two different things with one character almost. It's so satisfying and it was really, it's really fun. It's really technically fun. Um, it's fun to play that character who is so strange and um, <laughs> fun to, to do all the stuff that involves acting opposite yourself just because it's, it's fascinating to see how they do it. 
Um, and you know, the other th aspect of that is that it, you know that movie is based off of a, a novel, a C.D. Payne novel, yep. and that character, the alter ego, is very much a, a huge part of the novel. And I was a big fan of the novel before making the movie, so it was all very vivid to me from having loved the book. So it was also just fun to step into it as a, you know from that perspective as a fan. Well, it's a the Nick Twist technically is a, is a series of books too, right? There's, he's got a whole. Yeah, there's some other ones, yeah. Mm -hmm. Was was there ever a desire to like perfect? Like you didn't. Doesn't matter. Like I, as long as I get to do this, is good. Or did you have a desire to explore the character further in in other films? I don't think there was really any any discussion of that. At least that I was involved in. I, you know, I think it was, let's make this, for now. And you know, it was it felt like a big <laughs> undertaking, adapting that novel and and doing it. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to have to let you go soon, uh, but since we're kind of on that topic also of, of, you know, things coming back and or discovering a character from another viewpoint, since it's been announced that they're going to do the animated Scott Pilgrim and everybody's coming back, is it something where you relish in the fact that you will get to, again, I'm not going to give the same exact performance, but there are certain things I want to do differently, certain things I want to change, or it doesn't matter, again, because the script will be a, diff a little different, things are going to change, so... We'll sit down, we'll do it, and whatever comes out, comes out. Um, it's actually just really fun getting to like reconnect with the voice of Brian Lee O'Malley, mm -hmm. who wrote the, wrote the graphic novels, and his humor, which is so you know so defined in the graphic novels. It's it's such a strong voice as not only the not only the the illustration style and the story, but also just the di the dialogue and the characters and the characterizations. Are are so wonderful, the way that he does, and, and that's what this uh, anime series feels like. It's it's so it's really fun to rediscover that and um, and do it. It's it's been really funny, um, so it's been exciting. Yeah. And uh, as you can see, uh, I am a physical media vinyl collector. When are we going to get some physical versions of your music? Because I, I got to add it somewhere know. into the collection here. I don't know how I don't know how to how to how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first like published my music, um, I did it on Bandcamp. So there's, you know, I mean, meaning there's no um, label or, or any, yeah. anyone who would do the legwork to do that. And I'm well, not sucked, yeah. enough person. <laughs> that's what sucked when they closed. I mean, I obviously it was for good reasons because apparently the the company was run nefariously. But they had the pledge music. For Bandcamp? Oh uh, no, no, for pledge music because that was. Oh. Um, you know, if somebody wanted to release a, a vinyl version of their album, Pledge Music would take care of it because it's it's basically crowdfunding. So okay. depending on what they got in would depend on how much stuff would be pressed, what oh, kind of great. jacket would be, so on and so Very forth. Smart. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, well, variously. Somebody somebody screwed it up. I don't remember the whole story. Yeah. I have a I have a copy of Matthew Sweet's Altered Beast somewhere in here, which was pressed that's that that's how they repressed it through that, oh. and it was like they shut down before they got to release it. But luckily, he had the copies through his own store to sell or something. Oh. I can't remember what happened, but it it it, it all it all failed. <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a vinyl collector myself. It's just really heavy when you have to move house. Yep. Well, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like I've I've used so many different moving companies now, and again, I'm I'm in I'm in a studio apartment in New York. It doesn't take a lot to move me, but mm -hmm. I'll get my own boxes and box up the stuff that like. I truly, this is like you, anybody can't even put my house and touch this. I'll yeah. put this in a car myself, but everything else, yeah. they've moved it for me and it's, they've been, they've done good, been good jobs. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. They know what they're doing. 
exactly because like, i'm sure they had some but they sure they had a collector at some point just freak oh, out yeah. every every company's had a collector at some point freak out at them for something they've done by handling their their records and then they know what to do after that yeah well it's terrifying when you ask people to handle stuff you care about yeah that's yeah, every time yeah, you fly, right you get to the airport you're like look how they threw this bag around it's all broken but that's everything that's that's again that's like you getting a script somebody wants you for the role and they know you can take care of it they've whether they know you they've spoken to you or they just know your work but then again it's like who knows we get we get the set and look we have different ideas and it doesn't come out the way they want so it's not just physical stuff no yeah we have to trust each other as human beings as awful as it is but yeah, doesn't exactly. it make you really happy when someone just really comes through and does a good job the, the other day, this is the saddest thing, and, I'll, and this, this, I, this is going to be weird to be the last thing I tell you before we go, because <laughs> I was in the office building for my for my day job, and the Cintas guy who comes to free fill the you know emergency kit with band aids and medicine, he's the only person that I could that in the whole thing like I know that you're going to take no, care no. of this. I don't have to think <laughs> about it. I don't, I don't have to go to check to see if we're low on band aids or low on. On, on antacids. I know you're going to be here. I mean, we had this whole discussion about it. Why are you him into the company then if he's so reliable? Give him a better no. job. <laughs> well, you know, apparently with, with, with his company, he's, he's comfortable. So he has to well. work about it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like so much for your time. I have a great exterminator. He's really oh. very reliable. I mean, he's pulled me out of the depths of despair before. You know, I had mice coming into my house. Oh. He was like, I'm going to take care of it. And then he, he got it under control. Is he private or is it like a, one of these uh, kind of company. companies? He's got his own company. He's a good man. <laughs> That's the thing. Everybody's out there. It's Again, weird things. I don't know how they're coming to my mind, but um, did you listen to the Smile album when it came out? The Brian Wilson? No, no. Oh, sorry. Sorry. The, 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 the Tom York, uh, Johnny Greenwood band. No, I haven't heard that. No. The opening track is called The Same. And I like it's weird because it's not supposed to be an emotional song, but I find myself crying listening to it. Because it's about you know feeling you're in these times where you everybody's kind of at each other's throats in a lot of ways, and it's just somebody on the street going like, "Please, we are all the same." Just like, can you just not see it that we're just we're all just trying to get by? Let's all be nice to each other, and that's it. And so when you find these people who get it, it's 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 a wonderful feeling. Yeah, that's great. Well, I live in New York, you know, and I I appreciate that about New York. Actually, it always reminds me why I love living here. It's like you have a lot of nice moments with strangers on the street. Yeah, you know, you walk down the street and like I don't know something. You, like two people will laugh at the same thing. I was in the pharmacy the other day and like everybody laughed at the same time because the guy, the pharmacist was on the phone and he's yelling at the person on the phone. He goes, turn your TV down, turn the volume of your TV down. I can't. And, and it just made everybody laugh. And you just like laughing with strangers is a very um, bonding thing. It's a good like, OK, I'm part of a human cloth and we're all the same. It's, it's nice. Agreed. Michael, thank you so much for your time. All right, man. Nice talking. Have a great day. See you later. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael, Sarah. I was look, that was that was fun, and like I mean, I, we did get off onto some random topics uh, near the end of it, uh, which is also nice and fun. But it's great to talk about because the adult is a movie that you know there are a lot of films out there you know that can be similar. It's like you're not in there for a specific you know uh, this, this is not Aesop's Fables. You know, it's not all gearing up toward you know a, a thematic theme, a moral that you're supposed to take away and go like oh. You know, and now I'm going to change my life because of it. But it's it's a character study and story of, of 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 three siblings, and the three of them are insane in what they do in this movie. And it can be confusing at first until you know what's going on. Uh, but it, it's it's fantastic. Well, what's really interesting about the pairing of the adults and also youth and revolt is the fact that 
your description right there kind of cuts to the quick of the sort of indie filmmaking you would expect from a mm. movie like this, where it's just very much, again, not a clear cut A to B moral story. It's just something Correct. that really does revel in characters and goes wherever it wants to with the theme. Just like Youth and Revolt, where it's not, even though it's based off of a book, it's not- Book series, we should say. <laughs> oh, book series. It's not an A to B sort of thing. It is very much endemic of the indie culture at that time. Uh, yeah, well, This is thinking... very much a film of its time, I will say. I'm not saying it in a yeah. bad way, but I'm saying, you know, this movie came out in 2010. Oh, and... oh it was 2009. Well, 2009, it's, it's another one of those things where it's like 2009 at a film festival. Oh, got it. Okay. in general release. Yep. It's just kind of interesting considering uh, two of the film stars and what they would go on to do later that year. Oh, what are you referring to? Uh, just so people, um, I, Michael, I know, of course. Michael Sarah's best friend, Eric Knudsen, uh, best friend Lefty, played by Eric Knudsen. Uh, both of those actors would go on to make a little film called Scott Pilgrim versus I, the I, World. I didn't realize you were talking about, okay. That's why I got a little confused because yes, yes, the uh, yeah. even though uh, Scott really gets trashed out of there pretty quickly, um, um, I thought you were, I thought you were trying to refer to some other things. I got I, I like right. what? Well, no, I mean like, because again, it's funny because this is the movie we chose to talk about because granted, Superbad's not an overdue rental, but you know not it came out slightest. before it came out before this. But to me, in a lot of ways, this was kind of like a weird, different type of breakout for Michael Sarah because it did some stuff character wise that he yet a lot of people hadn't seen him do in a, in a lot of senses and then that's where it led into things like scott pilgrim later on and 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 purchased out but it's also like the first time people saw porsche double day and a lot of the you know and, and you know for for a good fact of the matter is that you know it, it, it rooney mara as well it's like this is like the first time a lot of people got to see these people so i didn't know if you were going on with stuff where they did is what my point was and at the same time going into this movie forgetting like i like i knew zach alfanakis was in this because i I vaguely remember the trailers so mm. seeing him in there wasn't a surprise but not knowing gene smart's in here gene smart uh, so many people in the jeans ari grainer just appear at that door and just again if you want to make a list of people that show up for that would show up for five minutes and kill m emmett walsh is on that list he he's still doing it. He did it in Knives Out. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. You want to make a list of people that can do that. He's on there. The late Ray Liotta, the late Fred Willard. Like, this is just a, this is an amazing cast where everybody yeah. does get their their moments. It's all right. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna take a, a weird left turn here. Okay. Because it seemed earlier on that you were hinting at you wanted to talk a little bit specifically about what I'm get. I mean, I'm gonna take a guess. I okay. could be wrong, but it seemed like you want to talk a little about Francois Dillinger. Oh yeah, okay. because on because Michael. Oh man, I, I first of all, I I am a Michael Sarah fan. Of course, yes. I love Scott Pilgrim. I love getting to see him break out of things, and it's like even just watching the trailer for the adults, it was like I am so intrigued by this because it's just he's moving on, he's growing up. He can't be George Michael every time. And that's exactly why I love Francois Dillinger because this was square in the heart of right after Superbad, right before yep. doing Scott, or right before or Scott Pilgrim right released. Scott Pilgrim, you should say, because they could have filmed almost back to back or, you know. Yeah, just Francois could have very easily been a character where it's just like, 
I'm bad and I'm going to do this, but he delivers it so perfectly. And then to have just Nick Twist be perfect straight, like that's the Michael Sarah everyone expects. That's a Michael Sarah everybody loves. But then Francois is just really like, if you, I mean, if you really wanted to give Michael Sarah that role and let him run with it, he will. And especially the one scene later in the movie where he's he's talking to Sheenie in bed and it's just the two of them. And he's like, can you do this for me? And then he's just like feeding that dialogue and it's just, Michael said, like Nick would never get away with those lines. Francois, that is his, that is his home base. Yes, and just for, like, oh man. For those who, for those who have not watched the film yet and we wait to watch it after we talk about it. That's uh, why I'm dancing uh, around Nick it. Nick is his character. Uh, and then Francois Dillinger is this uh, French uh, alter ego who he creates uh, based on him and uh, and Sheenie's love for uh, French uh, new wave filmmaking. Yeah. Um, it's like if you took Juno but told it through Fight Club. Yeah, it, well, it's, no it's, pregnancy and not nearly yeah. as annoying. And uh, and and even slicker in a lot of ways. Much slicker. Much there's slicker. no way Tyler Durden is is, is as suave as Francois. Is. Oh, oh no! Well, Tyler, yeah, because Tyler Durden is not meant to be slick. He's no. meant to be like he's the <laughs> id, and it's just like, uh, okay, yeah. But what if you dial down the destruction, amp up the horniness, and make him borderline French? What the thing about both of these movies is, and and I'm not trying to just stick, you know, because again, we, this is where we talk to Michael because we will have a, an ep episode coming up uh, soon, also where we talk to Sophia Lillis about the adults. And I am so sad that I missed out on that too because, <laughs> like, Michael, Sarah, and Sophia Lillis are, they're they're both sort of on that cusp but, where it's like they're obviously doing indie stuff, but they have done bigger things. Like Sophia's done it, but you know, the, the yeah. film we'll be, we'll be talking about with Sophia is Gretel and Hansel. But the, but the reason I bring it up is, again, is because we're focusing on talking about Michael more in this episode since this is his episode. Um, but the thing I love about both of these movies are, you know, because for most people, and I, I say it a lot, but, you know, there are people, you know, entrenched in, in, in the film industry and film and TV industry. So we see everything. There are people who love only indies, people who love only big blockbusters. But there's also people who love both, but they only kind of know what's kind of given to them. And when you only know what's kind of given to you, you know Michael Sarah as basically the one thing. And both these movies give you a different level to experience him on. And there are other movies too, but these are two great examples. Specifically, again, that I'll just call it the Lion King section of the adults is just so mind-blowing to me. Like I was sitting there watching it. And I could not believe what I was watching. I was just, I was so enthralled and just so kind of captivated watching him you know, in ways break down, but in ways fake break down, but maybe real, but I don't even know. I still don't know. And then watching Youth in Revolt and not only getting the Francois Dillager side of it, but getting the ultimate maybe combination at one point or another of the two of them where they're, they're, they're inhabiting the same body finally and being able to see him kind of do these different things. I think it's a great thing for people to witness if they haven't witnessed it. Yeah. And it's just Youth in Revolt, especially... I will admit it can be a little rough in the beginning because sure. you're thinking it's just going to be very arch, very indie. But the thing is the film starts pl plays those cards fast and loose. And it's like all the tropes are sort of like out of the way in the beginning, but then you really see how Nick and Sheenie are doing this push and pull with their lives 
and all these, and how Nick is like taking these increasing risks and doing these, increasing his, his schemes to, to be with her. And yeah, it's like, well, okay, that's where it starts to venture off of the beaten path. And it's like, okay, it's not as, it, it's not as predictable. Well, especially, I, I think, especially when it comes to her as a character, because while even still in the end, there is a possibility that you can say that she is manipulative, even though she's not, like she actually, it's like her feelings are actually real. She's not fucking around with him and she's not just telling him things because she thinks that, you know, she can get away with it even though that's the way they're played off because you're not supposed to really know. So at the end of the day, even with her character, you're getting that exact opposite of what you'd expect. Well, yeah. I mean, again, like it plays, it plays the hits early and gets yeah. it out of the way, <laughs> but then it just sets things up for going into different places and getting weird. And Mary Kay Place is another person we need to mention. I forget. Because yeah, M.M. at Walsh and Mary Kay Place as the Saunders. People. Just wonderful, wonderful little moments and little lines that just fill. It's like, oh, he's not a heathen. I, I can't think, I'm not going to be able to think up on the spot of a good enough example because it's something I should have thought about earlier, but I didn't. Because when you, when you think about Youth in Revolt, like, Look, Napoleon Dynamite was an indie film. Yeah, that's the one that really, that's one of those ones that started the boom, but yeah, but I've never seen it and I've never really had the impetus to do well, so. Well, this is why, then this maybe this, because the thing is that that's, that's a very raw, raucous, out of the box comedy where Youth and Revolt is, is something, again, even though Napoleon Dynamite's an independent film, Youth and Revolt feels like the true independent film version not they're, they're totally different stories but it seems like it's the totally independent film version or like the again like the i'm not, I'm not trying to make it sound snooty or, or upper class but like the, the more lo-fi version version of of what a napoleon dynamite would be where napoleon dynamite is like the far side um you know uh either revolts calvin and Hobbes or something like that you know there, there's just this weird like they're not the same movie in any way whatsoever but you can see where like there's like a kinship somehow between them yeah, like it's sort of, it's like that's, there's overlapping and it's swimming in some of the similar circles, but there's different moves to Napoleon Dynamite, which becomes more memeable and more popular. And then you've got Youth and Revolt, which takes more chances and wasn't as fully remembered, but clearly on overdue rentals, we have a soft spot for this film. And that's I will admit, this was my first time seeing it. And I enjoyed it. A I just enjoyed it a lot. It's like seeing all of these actors and then seeing all of these parts come together. And it's like, even like the, the inner, like the little animated, like interstitials, it's like, okay, this is, it's like indie movies have hurt me before with all of these twee little <laughs> tricks. It's like, especially Juno, because Juno was one of like, that is, that is a movie that is on my shit list because I really do not like that movie. Okay. And like, this I'm is- I'm indifferent like, about it. I, so, you know. This is something that, that okay uses, okay oh, that's, that's okay with me. Okay. But I'm not indifferent about you. But the thing is, I it's like it uses some of the tricks, but it's like in such a different way. And just, it's not a twee indie movie. Like I was so afraid that it was going to be. And then it's like, no, it understands that it's going to be compared to that. So it's got to it's got to get those things out of the way really quickly. Because even if you've got fans of that, you got to sort of play to them a little bit. But then everybody gets something unique and fresh where there's antics but they're antics with a purpose it's not just we're being cute and we're throwing in like that scene where he he tries to to wreck the car in order to, to fake his death 
Like oh, that. Oh, and- oh, oh, I, I thought you were talking about when the when technically Frank oh. lost at the car going, but I, I got you. The I other got car you. wreck. It's like well, with either of those car wrecks, it's like, well, first of all, especially with that one, the explosive one, it's like that's more effects and more panache than most indies would have probably attempted. But that's also I, where the that's also where the film takes its final like, okay, I'm telling you, you're not we're going places you didn't think we were going. That's like yeah. the that's like the final like middle midway point where it's like, all right, you thought we were doing something, not nah, here we go. Yeah, because you know there's another version of this movie where it's like he continues to lie and oh gosh, he won't actually do these things in the name of love. He's just gonna keep fibbing because they're only on the phone. And then it's like, no, no, things are happening. A scheme is put into effect and Ray Liotta will not tolerate it i i will say also and i didn't even think about this until just now Ooh. and while it's not again not trying to be and in no way the same movie i do now also feel that youth and revolt is a little bit of a and again i know it's based on a book but i'm just i'm just talking about it as a film what i see in front of me it's almost it's like it wants to be rushmore I could kind of see it, it, there's definitely Andersonian DNA and here. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely, and more, yes. More story wise and character wise than 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 visual wise, yeah. Yeah, especially when it comes to Nick and just his his relationships with male yes. authority figures. Like that yeah, is very yeah. much Max from Rushmore just taking the piss out of these men. Yeah, and, and that just leads to one of my favorite moments where it's like really Oda's giving him the belt. And it's Francois taken. He's like, you done there, big boy? And it's just, again, Francois Dillinger is such a wonderful character. I I would love for them to, like, this is something where it would it would be something where I would love to see a legacy sequel where it's like years down the road, where are these two? Well, that's also or at least why, three if you're going to count Nick and, and Francois separately. That's also why I think it's perfect that this is, this is Michael Sarah doing this movie because you look at that character in the hands of a lot of other people and it would be the attempt to only be like super, super suave. Like it yeah. would be out of character compared to Michael Sarah, where it's like, it's still suave and dangerous and outside of what Nick Twisp would do. But you can see how Nick is still there and you can see how, you know, where he takes it a little more nonchalantly or kind of like, um, you know, uh, blase in a way the situations where other people would you know it would be like it's all about them at that point they would yeah a lot of other people would focus so much on francois that they would forget to be yes nick. and nick is so like because th- th- that's how some people would read the character it's like oh nick doesn't want to be nick he just wants to be francois and it's like well the whole point is while he invents francois and strives to be him he's still nick like you can't it's so much easier to take on the challenge of charming and suave versus take on the challenge of being awkward. And since yeah. Michael Sarah already had the awkward, having him challenge himself with the suave was just such a refreshing thing. And it was wonderful. And it's like, okay, I would take a full movie of Michael <laughs> Sarah doing suave like that. Like put him in a knives out. That's, I mean... Or in a ben I haven't heard. I, I, he hasn't released. A, I mean, I know there's the writer strike on, but I don't know when he how long he's thought about it. And there's no word from Ryan Johnson as to what song he's basing his new uh, Benoit Blanc film on. Is there? No, 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 no. We just know that it's another Benoit Blanc mystery, and he's worked on that is his next project because he's 
that's his priority. So why not? Yeah. He signed. Well, he signed the deal with Netflix. It was for at least two, right? That was the yes. deal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he signed for at least two. Like I think because that's a uh, that's how they got, they outbid Lionsgate for two at a time. I think it was four hundred million for the two. All right. Even though they're not that expensive. Let's do this. Let's think okay. of. We're gonna both think of what song the next. Benoit Blanc adventure is going to be named after because again, if people are not aware, Knives Out's a Radiohead song, Glass Onion's a Beatles song. Ryan Johnson claims these are the songs he was listening to as he, you know, created these these films, which is why they 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 made the titles uh, or they affected the story. So let's see what's a good song title uh-huh. that would make a Benoit Blanc film that we know is popular enough because I don't think he's going to do something like super indie, like Radiohead is 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 indie enough to where you know. It could be still considered indie to certain people, even though it's not. Um, but it's not as big as the Beatles. I don't, but I don't think he's going to be doing like a Dinosaur Junior track, let's say. But still, he was doing a gl- he did a Glass Onion. He did Glass Onion, which is more of a Beatles deep cut than like. Eh, it's it's, that's it's more the white of a Beatles deep. Well, let's, let's be cut. honest. Yeah, it's still you know... more of a Beatles deep cut to the general public. The general public who's just going because it's a Benoit Blanc, it's a Knives Out mystery. Okay. Which I agree with him. It's like, that's, no, that's not what you're mar- you should be marketing this as. It's Glass Onion, a Benoit, Benoit Blanc. Blanc yeah. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. All right. It's a Benoit Blanc mystery. So what's the song going to be? Although you mentioned Dinosaur Jr. It would have been really fun to call it Was Not Was, and then just totally fuck around with Timeline, even it though that's not, an album band, name, though. I think. Oh, fuck. Was so not was right. was so not thinking was walk the dinosaur walk the dinosaur dinosaur yeah, junior I, I confused it with dinosaur junior I am so sorry dinosaur <laughs> junior and was not was okay. I think okay. I have my, I think I have mine I think I have my okay. song and I just forgot it shit shit I'm like oh I it was perfect and I had it and uh, oh I man had Ryan Johnson's iPod no like I literally just had the song in my head oh I have it I have it again okay what is it no, uh, do you have yours no, but I want to hear yours. Wicked game. Oh. Ooh, and then ooh, and then it's maybe a game to play. Be the same I would love for them to cast Chris Isaac in that while they're at it because Chris Isaac is really good at from what I remember, he's really good at sort of like comedy like i remember I, the, the only performance i could think of at this moment is like the small role he had in that thing you do but i loved him in there he was also he was also in fire walk with me right he might have been which we'll find which we'll, which we'll talk about soon coming up but that's Ooh. another discussion all right yes what's your song choice i think i won i almost i'm almost tempted to like dig into like the bowie oeuvre that's a that's a possibility, man. Because Bowie, you you figure Beatles, Radiohead, like Bowie's in that circle somewhere, and it could be anything from like Modern Love to Let's Dance. Yeah, but I don't know if those make those make. Mm. Mm. But I'm gonna go Bowie, and because again, so if we're thinking about now, we'll be thinking maybe 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 not super deep cut. Maybe we'll think about a little deep cut. Rock and Roll Suicide doesn't make a good sense for a title. Uh bad man. What would it be? He could go. He could go more modern. He could do his Black Star. Yeah, but that's too sad. It's also like, like I mean, it also gets it fits be- into the whole the whole mm. play uh, that he did. So I don't want to do that. Um, I don't know. Ashes to ashes. Um, it's not a deep cut, but 
And there's already a BBC show of that name, so I doubt he's going to want to like. That's why. They, yeah, that's also there won't be a life on Mars. Yeah. Or yeah, uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, that's probably won't be Queen cool. Bitch. <laughs> Maybe I personally. Well, that they might balk at that because it's like Diamond Dogs. Maybe. Ooh. <laughs> But there's there's good options here, Mr. Johnson. If you want to talk to us, you want a conference with us, we'll we'll be glad to. We'll, we'll be glad I, I, to now we're you. gonna go rolling. It's gonna be wild horses. We're gonna go. You know, it's we're going rolling Ooh. stones now. Ooh, yes, the a beggar's banquet. Well, sympathy for the devil. I mean, I you can take that's any not, of them. That's not gonna be simple. Yeah, Ruby Tuesday. Miss you. I like beggar's banquet. Anyway, we're, anyway we're, 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 we've I, flown far off the track, everybody. So now that is your cue to go check out <laughs> Youth in Revolt. And uh, as of August 18th, check out the adults. Come back. Let us know what you thought. Of course, to come back and let us know what you thought, you have to find us, right? Maybe you don't know how to find us. I mean, you, you know where we are, but maybe you don't know how to find us certain avenues. So, Michael, how can they find us on all those avenues? Look, just as sure as you would be able to find Youth in Revolt at the time of this recording for free with ads on YouTube. Uh, you'll be able to find us on the internet through various sources, including TikTok and Instagram, where we reside at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to email us love letters, uh, fake birth certificates that we're just going to set ablaze in a car that we're going to comically try to wreck to fake our deaths, or just another recommendation for a movie we should cover, uh, you can email us at overduerentals at gmail.com. And while you're at it, since we want to keep the Overdue Rentals rental counter open for the likes of Francois Dillinger to come in and sort of knock over all the, the red vines and pick at the M&Ms that he likes. He only likes the green ones, apparently. Uh, you can find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, any place that you, basically anywhere that you cram quality podcasts into your ears, we're there. And while you're there, you can rate, review, and subscribe because we want to know. We we want to know what pleases you as a listener. We want to know. We also want to know. You know what they want to know, Mike? We want to know what why we, maybe Ryan Johns is listening to Jimi Hendrix and what they think about the new Benoit Blanc film being Crosstown Traffic. That could work. Look, he made Glass Onion work. He can make anything work. He could literally have a movie called 1812 Overture, a Benoit Blanc mystery. In it. <laughs> That's That should be it. That should be it. Look, this is the craziness that you'll hear on Overdue Rentals, and you should be checking out our back catalog. And again, rate, review, and subscribe. We want to know what we want you to wear our show on your ears, like the crown you deserve. And with that wonderful sentiment, we're going to send you off with a loving and smooth au revoir. Au revoir, les bleus. I was going, Franç I was going Francois with that. You know? Au revoir, les bleus américains. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.